I actually I stayed in an Airbnb. Ooh, okay. <laughs> yeah. it, it was pretty unique. Um, my host, uh, the person who ran the Airbnb, also worked there mm-hmm. during the day. It was an office, so it was an office. But I also had it was had like three bedrooms. Mm-hmm. So I had new roommates coming in and out the entire summer, and um, well, I called her my host mom because she basically took me in as a son, sort of, and would just like Aww. she was okay. Well, make sure when the new people show up, you tell them where to go, you tell them how to do this. And then, <laughs> Because I am out of or of Arab descent, mm-hmm. she kind of me as her son. It was it was kind of it was funny. Aww. So we, but even if I was sleeping in until like eleven on a weekend, she's like, Brian, get up! It's it's, it's eleven. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm paying to live here. But it, it was it was a piece of home, so it was nice. That's so sweet. That's so sweet. Hello, hello! Welcome to Young, Gifted, and Abroad, perspectives on studying abroad from past and present students of color. My name is Danielle, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today because today I have my friend Brian as the guest. I met Brian while we were both an undergrad, and he developed an interest in global public health during that time. And so he did a, an internship in South Africa where he was working with youth there. Um, not too far from Johannesburg, who uh, had been adversely affected by AIDS and HIV in their communities. And then in grad school, he did a practicum in Beirut, Lebanon, where he was um, helping local community organizations there to better serve Syrian and Palestinian refugees. So um, he has a a really big heart for people and um, while he was, uh, well, after his practicum was over in Lebanon, he made a detour to Palestine to visit family there. Brian is Palestinian American, and despite some misgivings from uh, family members here stateside, he uh, really wanted to go and connect with um, that part of himself. So he talked with me about the process of getting into Palestine and also just what it was like being able to connect with family he hadn't met before and just uh, you know be surrounded with a lot of love and learn more about um, himself and also uh, Palestinian culture in general Um, so you get to hear all about that in this episode so without further ado sit back relax and enjoy my interview with my friend Brian Bataya. Okay, so before we uh, delve deep into this thing, um, would you please introduce yourself for people who don't know you or what you're up to? Just um, go ahead and say whatever it is that you want to say about yourself. All right. My name is Brian. I am an MSU alum, uh, Michigan State University, class of 2016. I studied biomedical lab science there. It had a special, or a, I think it was a certificate at the time in global public health and epidemiology. Um, I then graduated in 2016 and moved down to Atlanta, Georgia and attended Emory University for my master's in public health uh, with a focus in global epidemiology. Did that for two years and just graduated in May of 2018. And now I'm working at Emory University full-time as a public health researcher. Nice, belated congratulations to you. (laughs) Um, How do you, are you from Michigan? I am from Michigan. Okay, so how do you like being in Georgia compared to being in Michigan for most of your life? 
I am all about this weather. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Michigan are cold. It's like eight months of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I did it, and I, I love my family. I love my friends um, a lot, but I'm hoping I can slowly get them to move down here instead. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I was talking to Irene, and she mentioned you did an internship in South Africa. Was that while you were at MSU or while you were at Emory? When did that happen? I did my internship uh, in South Africa between my junior and senior year at Michigan State University. Okay. So um, was that something that you were required to do for your degree program or just something that you were interested in? So it was actually uh, not anything that was part of like a requirement or a degree program. I just wanted to gain some experience, and it was, it was an internship that I had my sights set on for some time. Mm. Um, I had heard about it my freshman year um, while participating with um, the multiracial unity living experience. It was a, a pub at uh, Michigan State, mm-hmm. and they had a partner organization that was Global Youth for Education and Change, and they did internships where they would send interns to work in um, a local community-based center in South Africa, mm-hmm. um, this way, one of the townships. So I worked there for nine weeks on an internship related to public health, um, focusing on youth. Okay. <laughs> nice. And um, what were, um, were there any specific requirements or particular things you had to do to apply um, for that internship? Um, it's a really unique situation. So, um, the club, uh, the multi, the Emerald mm-hmm. Multi Community Living Experience, was run by a professor named Dr. Jean Gazelle. Mm-hmm. Dr. Jean Gazelle was also the founder of Global Youth for Education and Change. Okay. Um, as you volunteered more and more with um, GYEC Global Youth for Education and Change partner organizations in Detroit and Lansing, you kind of gained rapport with. Dr. Gazelle and the organization at large, and come my junior year, I, I mentioned, like, I'm really interested in bringing the work that I've been doing here um, in Detroit and Lansing to our partner organization in South Africa. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I got in that. Okay. Nice. And had you been to South Africa before? Um... First time, first time. Okay. Oh, you're fading just a little bit again. It, it was my first time going okay. to South Africa. Okay, and had you had you traveled internationally before this? I I did a, a Europe trip back in high school. Okay, um, they had uh, a program through my uh, school called Education First Tours or EF Tours. Oh yes, I've heard of them. Yeah, and I and I took a tour with them uh, to Italy and Greece. Okay, and that was what like uh like a week or two. Yeah, like a, like a two week thing. Okay. So you went in high school and then you went to South Africa. Um, so you had you said you had had your sights on this internship for a while. Had you thought of going to like South Africa in general for a while, or was that just like um, kind of like a coincidence as part of the internship that you were going for? Like, had you had any desire to go to Africa or, or South Africa before this internship came up? Um, to be 100% honest, I, I hadn't really thought about it until I got to Michigan State University. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was at Michigan State, I was really involved in, I really wanted to learn more about race relations. Mm-hmm. That's why I got, I got involved with the multiracial living experience. Um, it was something I was drawn to. So through learning about race in the U.S., I had learned more about race in South Africa, just like by reading up and like 
I tried to dedicate some like papers and classes to learning about that. Yeah. And then the more I learned about it, I, I kind of drew parallels between, I guess, like how race impacts well-being and, and health and all those sorts of things. And I realized that I wanted to explore that further. Mm, nice. Okay. And um, so obviously this is focused on public health, but was there any um, like cultural or maybe even linguistic training that you did or that they like um that they did to prepare you before you went was there anything like that uh i was told to read a book uh and i I did read the book it was um by paul farmer i read a book by paul farmer to kind of prepare me for like i guess like global public health and what it meant to work in a company like a company partner organization okay yeah but in terms of learning i didn't really learn zulu uh, until I got there, um, mm-hmm. got there, like I tried more and more every day with the kids and, and um, the host family. Nice. Okay. And what was that book called? Just in case anyone is listening is interested. <laughs> I am the worst because I completely forgot what it was okay. called. But I knew I know that it was a collection of speeches. Collection of speeches by Paul Farmer. You said. Yes. Okay. Got it. All right, I'll just look that up later. It's fine. No worries. No, no, it's okay. No worries. I just wanted to ask, just in case you remember it. Um, okay, so you said this was nine weeks between, was it, sorry, Lord have mercy, between sophomore and junior year or junior and senior year? Junior and senior year. Okay, all right, gotcha. Okay, so, uh, you know, you are getting ready to participate in this internship you're going to South Africa. You're going to the continent of Africa for the first time. Um, like, how are you feeling? What are you thinking? Are you excited? Are you nervous? Do you, are there any specific expectations that you have? Like, what 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 is your mindset like leading up to this? <laughs> That's a big question. Um, I guess it was it was mainly excitement. Mm-hmm. I've done so much reading up on like the history and like wanting to learn more. Um, about the culture, specifically mm-hmm. um, in South Africa, um, and I think it was, it was mainly just excitement. I mean, of, of course, there's fears of like, how are we going to navigate a new culture, and, and I think those are natural and normal. Mm-hmm. I think my feelings of excitement and my feelings of, um, and especially because I was I was plugged into a community-based organization, but I knew that I would have some sort of like social support system um, and be able to like actually immerse myself. Um, all of that sort of excited me more. Yeah. Than my Okay. Nice. And did your um, family and friends have any um, any like opinions about you going so far away for a significant amount of time, or I mean, or were they, you know, really supportive? You know, what what was the, your reaction? Or I'm sorry, what was the reaction of you know the people who are closest to you? Um, my parents uh, were very against. They're they're always against it when I leave the country or anything like that. Um, they're very scared, they're very, Aww. they feel just very comfortable in their, like, Michigan bubble and small <laughs> rural town. Um, so anytime I go abroad or anything like that, you know, when I came to Georgia, they, they kind of freaked out. But um, I think the more that they see me, um, I guess, like, immersing myself in new spaces and places, um, they learn more about how um, the world isn't really, like, what they think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm learning it, too. Yeah. So you get to South Africa, and you were staying... You said you were in one of the townships. So were you, like, doing homestay, or what was your living situation? 
So it was really unique in that the homestay was located on the, the site of the nonprofit. Mm. So I've lived where I worked. Um, okay. So. Nice. And so were you, so that was on the site where you worked. So were you like with a family or was it? There were living quarters for the interns. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. But like, just like a building over was, was the family. Nice, nice. So, um, so you lived in living quarters, and then, what, were you like assigned a particular family to to interact with, or did you just like interact with the people who were around you since it was such a community oriented program? So it was a a community center for children made vulnerable by HIV and AIDS. Mm-hmm. It was an after school program. So gotcha. every day, their school was over. All the kids from the community would come there. Um, they would do a meal and then we do like education just like play around okay and when you say education is that just like english stuff or is that related to like health like what were you what types of things were you teaching them so a lot of our programming focused on health okay um, but kind of with the focus of them leading projects and identifying projects that were of interest to them okay we started off the program with what we called like problem identification. So we had everyone have a notebook and we'd walk around and say, okay, write down all the things that you think are good for your health and all the things that you think are hurting your health. Um, mm. and then we built, they built their intervention around that. So you'd say, oh, here's what you've said. This is what a lot of people said. Um, how about we come up with something around this? Mm. And then, okay, nice. And how many, um, I'm sorry if you mentioned this already, but how many people was it all together um, in your, like, um, your group of interns? How many? How so many it, was just, it was just two of us. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And the professor, or it was just? It was, it was just the two of us. The professor came in for a couple of weeks, but for the most part, it was just us and the host family working at the nonprofit. Okay. Gotcha. So you were, like, under the leadership of that nonprofit then. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Okay. And um, when you say you were working with children affected by HIV, were these um, children who had the virus or children who lost loved ones or relatives due to the virus? Um, Yeah. So um, the nonprofit was started by a local South African woman and Jean Gazelle, the professor at Michigan State University. Mm -hmm. And the goal was to create a space where children can come and get resources um, because a lot of the township was impacted by HIV and AIDS, whether it was themselves or, or people losing loved ones. So mm-hmm. kind of a place where people could come together and have those resources, mm. uh, food, education, um, and kind of just like community support. Nice. Nice. I'm sorry. I'm blanking. My goodness. Sorry. <laughs> You're in South Africa. You're uh, working with the kids on a day-to-day basis. Um, what types of things did you do outside of the work that you did for the internship? Like, did you travel around? Did you visit, like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what sort of, like, leisure or entertainment or nightlife. Maybe there wasn't since you were kind of, like, out of the way. But, like, what types of things did you do outside of working with um, or, like, Fulfilling your duties with that nonprofit. Um, a lot of it, we just stayed on the on site, uh, hung out with the kids. So mm-hmm. we were just like, um, one of the kids had 
like a Frozen DVD, and we watched Frozen probably like a hundred times. <laughs> At one point, I knew all the lyrics to Frozen. Lost it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but mainly, it was just it was just bonding with the kids and hanging out with the family. Okay. Um, we did do an excursion like towards the end of the trip. Me and my co-intern, we went to um, a safari, kind of like on the other side of the country. Mm-hmm. We went there for a good four days. That was really eye-opening, too, because um, until then, we hadn't really seen white people the entire time. Mm. Because as much as apartheid is in South African history, it's, it's very much in its present day. Right, right. So I, I don't think I realized how segregated South Africa still was, still is, um, until I kind of saw white people for the first time. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah, I. <laughs> and another thing that really got me too is that um, my whole life in the United States, I've always been like brown, not like a white person. But uh-huh. when I went to South Africa, because of how race is structured there, I was a white person. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yes. So okay. I'm perceived as white, whereas in the U.S., I'm perceived as brown or Arab. And what did you think about that being perceived as white for like the first time ever? Like, yeah. what? <laughs> what was that like? <laughs> it, it was kind of just, like, shocking. Just, like, I don't know, I was taken back. Um, and it kind of, like, taught me a lot about how, like, how social, how, how much of a social construct race is. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't, there's some things that are constant, but as you move across national boundaries, um, those lines and those divides change. Mm-hmm. And who you are changes, too. Yeah. Categorized. Wow. Wow. And, um, okay, so I know you mentioned, like, where you were, but could you give a, an idea? Because South Africa is a huge country, and um, I'm trying to visualize it in my head, but my geography of South Africa is not that good. So can you give, like, an idea of where within South Africa you were? Like, was it you? Huh? I was about 40 minutes outside of Johannesburg. Johannesburg. Okay. Gotcha. All right, so... And did you, I mean, I know you said you stayed kind of um, in that township with the kids most of the time, except for when you went on that safari. Did you venture into Johannesburg at any point while you were there? Uh, a couple times, but, but not like for too long. Just yeah. Just for like an evening and come back. Mm. Okay. So, um, so it seems like you were fairly interested and dedicated to the work that you were doing um how did you enjoy just living in south africa like were there any um i guess how did how did living in south africa compare to like your daily life here in the states i know that a lot of luxuries that i i guess had grown so accustomed to just like reliable internet mm-hmm. um, i just didn't have on the regular, but yeah, I don't really know. Like, that's a big question. Like, how does your life? How did your life there compare to life here? I think anytime that you're traveling, um, that question can always be brought up, and, and it's inherently different. Your life, right. wherever you're traveling, um, compared to to where you're used to. Um, I think that's kind of like the beauty of it is that it is different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And um, were these young kids that you were were they mostly younger kids that you were working with yeah 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 um i kind of focused on like our classes at least Mm -hmm. focused 
children like 12 to 18. Like 12 okay. and to oh, okay. So they weren't like not like kids, kids, no. Right. Okay. Okay. Oh. That's, that's the image I had in my head when you said you're working with kids, twelve to eighteen. Oh. So they're like, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Yes, because you did mention uh, like having a more youth focused, um, like a youth centered focus that you were going for. Okay, twelve to eighteen. So they were teens or preteens and teens, adolescents. Okay, gotcha. And um, were they, was there anything, so like the kids, how did they interact with you? Like, were they particularly interested in in you because you're American? Were there certain questions that you got because you're from where you're from? Um, or were you just like the cool foreign guy? Like, I don't know, like, <laughs> how did the kids interact with you and... Um, you know, did you did you get any sort of like reactions or any questions that stick out in your memory? Yeah, I feel like a lot of our conversations were just normal conversations that you'd have with a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, at first, like you'd get the questions like, "Oh, how is it like in America?" Just like the, the general basic questions, um, and a lot of them always have this idea that all of America looks like New York. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I told them that I grew up on a dirt road and I grew up in the middle of nowhere and like all the sorts of things, they're like, "Oh wow! Like mm-hmm. there's places like that that exist in the U.S." Yeah. Um, but I guess as they were learning more about like the U.S. landscape and things like that, I was learning more about their space as well. Gotcha, gotcha. You grew up on a dirt road. Yep. <laughs> Where was Rural. this? I grew up in Armada, Michigan, small farm town. Ooh, okay, so this has nothing to do with anything, but my mom takes my dog out to Armada for training. This lady has this farm, like this land, but instead of using it as a farm or whatever, she uses it as like a dog training center. <laughs> I'm from there, I'm from your, your mom's dog. Yeah, <laughs> so I've been out there a couple times just That's passing funny. through. No yeah. one That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that makes more sense now that you say. Cause I'm like, dirt road. Where the heck did you grow up? And you had a dirt road, but okay, yeah, because it is kind of rural and, and had lots of farmland out there. So that makes more sense. Um, wow, was that like isolating growing up there? I don't know. I mean, whenever I pass through there, there's not much. I don't see many young people, but that's usually because we're there like either super like super early where there's not much going on in the day um was that i mean what was that like growing up in in armada i I think physically it's it's very kind of it's a little isolating just because you want to go to the movie theater you're going to go 15 minutes 20 minutes 30 minutes you know to like get anywhere to do something fun Mm -hmm. but i think also socially um my family was only like one one or two of families of color Mm mm-hmm so I guess, like, growing up like that was um, a very unique experience. And, and when I came to Michigan State, I think that's what drew me towards learning more about culture, more about race, um, because I didn't really have that around me growing up. I just kind of, like, experienced that sort of social isolation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I wouldn't change it for the world. I love my hometown. I think I learned a lot, and I, and I love the people there. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, like, culturally, socially, um, there were times when I, I guess I, I felt more isolated than I felt connected, and I feel like mm-hmm. when I came to MSU, I was able to explore that more. Yeah, interesting. And I mean, I mean, I don't know. I didn't have a bad impression of Armada. It's just 
seems like a lot of farmland and quaint quaint buildings and like the downtown area is really quaint also yeah (laughs) (laughs) but it's good that you enjoyed um enjoyed growing up there you know even though if it was kind of um maybe a little out of the way you know it still worked out for you and like you said you still have positive um positive um impression of where you grew up so that's that's good you know it's home yeah yeah for sure um okay so i didn't mean to go on that detour i was just really interested in what the where this dirt road was (laughs) oh goodness okay (laughs) and um so you went during the summer but okay so i don't know if this is the same was it still summer during that time in south africa or was it like winter? Because I know certain places it was. So it's like in Australia, right? Like our summer is their winter. Yeah, something like that. Okay. I just know I, w- I was taken back for sure because um, they told me it would be winter, but I'm like, okay, Michigan winters, I got this. Like I'm ready to go. Right. But once I got there, I was very underprepared. Um, I was space heaters on every night, um, layers up, layered up. Um, it it was a lot. Wow. Uh, but it kind of, like, brought everyone closer together, too, because everyone was just, like, chilling around the space heater in it together. Um, so it, it was nice to kind of just, like, like, I, I think some of the best memories are, like, sitting around the space the space heater at night and just, like, cracking jokes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Brought y'all closer together. Yeah. So was <laughs> it, like, I mean, how cold was it? It wasn't, like, Michigan cold, was it? Uh... I know that there was ice on the ground a couple mornings, and that took me back. A little oh, bit. okay. <laughs> yeah, wow. not like, like snow, but um, it, it was cold enough to freeze some water, so that's that's cold enough for me. Gotcha, gotcha. Wow. Okay. Yeah, because it's like south of the equator. It's like I don't, I don't. I mean, I don't. There's a lot of things that I don't know how they work, but I know that like for countries south of the equator, it's kind of like flipped in terms of like winter and summer. Um, and I knew that was true for Australia, but I didn't know if that was the same for South Africa. So it's interesting to learn that, yeah, it is winter time in July. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was a change for me. <laughs> and, um, you said you didn't have like reliable internet all the time. So were you able to keep in touch with your parents or contact them at all while you were there? Uh, so, the time that the internet was most reliable was, was like, between, like, midnight and 2 a.m. There was, like, a very narrow window where the internet was strongest. Mm -hmm. So, I remember me and my co-intern would just, like, stay up until that time and send any messages that we needed to send at that time. But I would go a good, like, I don't know, week without talking to them. It would be fine. Okay. Uh, We also had, like, a three-week power outage that, like, was really, really rough. Especially because... It was winter in the space heaters. We really needed those. Um, that was that was a, a challenge for sure. So what did y'all do? We just roughed it. Everyone <laughs> <laughs> yeah. at the center was kind of just like roughing it together. Um, a lot of the it was kind of it was kind of bad because a lot of the food went bad. Mm. Um, so that wasn't too good. Um, but we all kind of just like roughed it out. Okay. Gotcha. And 
You said you, as far as like the internet went, you would send messages while the connection was strong. Was that like on your phones or did you have your like laptops with you? Yeah, mainly laptops. I had kind of put, I decided to put my phone away for the summer. That was my goal. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really use my phone too much. Um, It was mainly, yeah, laptop. Okay. Gotcha. Um... All right, I'm just trying to make sure I didn't miss any of the big ones. Um, was there... Well, I know you mentioned, like, a power outage and, like, unstable internet, but that's just kind of stuff you get used to, I'm assuming, because um, of, like, the way of life where you are. Do you remember, like, any... Any significant challenges you had to deal with or things that maybe took more to get used to while you were there, either in relation to your internship or just, you know, being in South Africa in general, um, anything like that? I think something that was really eye-opening for me, um, at least, like, I learned in, in the field of, like, global health, mm-hmm. was that you can have all the compassion in the world um, and, like, have the best intentions and, and really, like, put your heart into everything that you do, but you will never really understand what it's like to live somewhere that you don't live. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's, that's like a, a harsh truth that I had to learn, because um, no matter because no matter how hard I tried and I really really tried to put my heart into it, there were just some things that I I would I will never understand. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the biggest lessons I learned through um, this internship. Yeah, and like I guess like the waves of volunteerism that you see, like that sort of thing, like it was a really like morally question. Like I don't know how to explain it. It's one of those things that like you do it, you really immerse yourself, and you. You had the best intentions, and you did what you could. Yeah. But then when you look back on it, and you see, like, you learn more about, like, things like volunteerism, and... Yeah. And, I don't know. I can't explain it. It's, it's hard to reflect on in a way that's... Uh, yeah. Gotcha. All right, so, um, was there any other question that I had? Oh, um, did you, uh, receive any sort of, like, scholarships or any sort of help, uh, funding this uh, participation in, in the program in South Africa or was it covered? Like, did you need a whole lot of, of funding to be able to get there? What was, what was that like? So, uh, since it was a goal that I had in mind since my freshman year, it was something that I had my, my sights set on. Mm-hmm. I knew the internship wasn't going to be funded, most likely. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I planned accordingly. I saved up my money from freshman year up until then. Luckily, um, it really, the main thing was just the plane ticket. Okay. Um, because living on site and everything was just, like, very, very cheap. Um, it was, like, like we just paid a small portion of rent um, because we were working for the organization. Yeah. Um, it was more so con- considered, like, a donation. Okay. Uh, so it was just saving up for that plane ticket. Gotcha. That was <laughs> Yeah. So the flight was the biggest expense. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay. All right. So it's not too bad, you know. Um, okay. Uh, wonderful. So we can, <laughs> I guess you can move on to Lebanon and Palestine. You said you went there recently. Was that just, was that um, for any particular reason or just because you wanted to go? Um, you're not, I mean, I don't know. Is is Palestine a place you can just visit? I know that there's like a lot of stuff going on. I don't know if it's something you can just, a place you can just go without needing an official reason or I don't know. I don't know anything about that. So please enlighten me. <laughs> So it's something that I had to learn a lot about too. Um, I'm I'm the grandson of Palestinian immigrants. Oh, okay. Um, who, yeah, who migrated um, back 
between 48 and 67. Okay. Um, so, so all my grandparents are in the U.S. now, and my, my parents were born in the U.S. and all that. But I still do have family that is in Palestine. Mm-hmm. But when I went, my reason, uh, when, I, when I presented to um, the, the border control, um, was that I wanted to visit my family, which is true. Yeah. I do it in Jericho, Palestine. Okay. Wow. And both sides of your family are from Palestine? Yes. Okay. So, was, wait, when, was it this year or last year that you went? Uh, 2017, summer That's of 2017. Okay, yeah. so a year ago. Why did you decide to go at that time to go to Palestine and visit your family? Um, so, when I was in public health school, mm-hmm. I was that we had the opportunity to do a practicum abroad. Mm-hmm. And I saw it as an opportunity to, one, work with communities that I'm very um, invested in, which is like the Arab American community, but also the Palestinian diaspora at large. Mm-hmm. So I worked with an organization, I, I found it, I found the opportunity to work with an organization in Lebanon that focused on um, Palestinian and Syrian refugee health. Okay. Um, so my focus for the summer when I was working in Lebanon and then after that, I decided that I wanted to save two weeks to go visit my family in, in Palestine. So I, I did that. Gotcha. Okay. It was kind of like mainly for, for for school, my school requirement as my practicum to go to Lebanon. Mm-hmm. But after that, I did personal travel to Palestine. Gotcha. Okay. I see. All right. So that makes that makes a lot of sense. And so, um, okay, I'm trying to see where I want to go with this. Okay, so let's, since Lebanon, that's where you went first. Um, had you been to Lebanon before? No, so, so the funny thing is that ever since my um, grandparents came to the U.S., my parents also, sorry, I'm going to start over. So <laughs> when, my parents, my, when my grandparents came to the U.S., they've only been to back to Palestine a handful of times. Mm-hmm. Parents have never gone. Okay. It's not something that my family was very supportive of. Um, my grandparents always had the mentality of like, we came here for a reason. Why would you want to go back? Mm, yeah. Sort of mentality. But I knew that since I had this opportunity to go to Lebanon, um, I could use it as an opportunity to go and visit family that was still in Palestine. That yeah. is still in Palestine. Gotcha. So, um... Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. I just have so many questions. I'm trying to figure out what, where to, <laughs> what to ask you first. Um, so you were working with, like... You were focusing on uh, refugee health while you were in Lebanon, right? Um, so was it like a similar sort of... Well, no, because you said you were working more with young people when you were in South Africa. So, like, what kinds of things were you doing? Like, what was a typical day like while you were doing your practicum in in Lebanon? Yeah. As where my, my South Africa practicum was very hands-on in the community base, mm-hmm. uh, Lebanon practicum was more like managing smaller community-based organizations from a larger from a larger scale. Okay. So I worked in Beirut, Lebanon, and we had a bunch of partner organizations all over Lebanon um, that held the program. Okay, gotcha. It was just a 40-hour work week in an office. Um, and, I, and I also was able to go on some site visits to, to kind of go and see, like, what's the quality of the classes and what are the... Because uh, there was an educational internship. Mm. Um, the, I, was, I was mainly evaluating... Um, educational programming for Syrian, Palestinian, and uh, disadvantaged Lebanese youth. Mm, okay. this, but more at a large scale. Gotcha. And were there other Emory um, students with you? Or did you know anyone else who was who was there with you at that time? 
So, um, Emery kind of offers official practicums, but a few of us create our own practicums. So, it was funny because two of us that did decide to create our own practicums created them in Lebanon. Mm. And my, uh, she worked with an LGBT-based um, organization in Lebanon. Mm-hmm. And I worked on this a refugee youth-based organization, or refugee-based, the youth focus. Okay. Uh, but we both ended up there. Nice. And so... Hmm, okay. Were you, like, in like in an apartment, or were you in, like, another kind of, like, dorm situation? I actually, I stayed in an Airbnb. Ooh, okay. <laughs> it, it was pretty unique. Um, my host, uh, the person who ran the Airbnb also worked there. Mm-hmm. During the day, it was an office. So it was an office, but I also had, it was, had, like, three bedrooms. Mm-hmm. So I had new roommates coming in and out the entire summer, and, um... Well, I called her my host mom because she basically took me in as a son, sort of, and would just, like, Aww. she goes, okay, well, make sure when the new people show up, you tell them where to go, you tell them how to do this. Because <laughs> I am out of, or of Arab descent, mm-hmm. she kind of me as her son. It was, it was kind of, it was funny. Aww. So we, even if I was sleeping in until, like, 11 on a weekend, she's like, Brian, get up. It's, it's, it's 11, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm paying to live here. It, it was it was a piece of home, so it was nice. That's so sweet. That's so sweet. Wait, so your host was there while you were living there? Yeah, yes. She she worked there, so it was an office. Building. Right. Okay, gotcha. So she worked, and then you like slept in the rooms that were there. Okay. Interesting. Okay, that's so cute. <laughs> oh man. Okay. And so Lebanon, what is? Okay, that's like a really broad question, but like, as you experience it, what is Lebanon like? Were you in like a major, like an urban area, or was it more rural? So, so I stayed in Beirut for mm. the majority of, okay. of my ship, and Beirut's a bustling city. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. It's modern. It's very like, I don't know, amazing food. Everyone's dressed to the tee. Like, it's, it's a very like upbeat city yeah um, but uh, when you leave Beirut it's a lot more like like mountainous landscape and, and, and things like that and I did go out um, a little bit for some of uh, the field visits type of visits okay but for the most part I wasn't okay nice and was that um, was that a significant change of pace for you well you had been in like Atlanta for a while at that point so I'm, I mean, okay. Well, you had already been in Atlanta for, for some time, so I guess going from a, one city to another city, it probably wasn't that much different from you in terms of pace, right? I was surprised because it was. Oh, it was? Okay. I don't think Atlanta could have prepared me for, for Beirut. It was, it was a whole other level of like hustle, people moving, moving. Yeah, so you're fading just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was just a whole different level of city okay. that I wasn't. Before, but it was great. Was um, especially it like cool town? Yeah. yeah. I mean, how? I mean, how? Was it busier? Was it more crowded? Like, how was it uh, different? So different that it like Atlanta hadn't prepared you for it. It wasn't so much like more crowded. It was just like the rules of traffic and everything were just different. <laughs> like, if if I wanted to cross the street, there weren't there wasn't like a, a a light I had to look for. It was just like. 
I'm looking at the drivers trying to make eye contact like I'm going to cross now sort of thing. So <laughs> but you put your own traffic light. You just have to do your own thing. Um, and everyone was doing it. So it was kind of one of those things that you, you just get into it real quick. And it was funny because when I came back to the U.S. and like, I was in Atlanta, I started doing that. My friend's like, what are you doing? He's like, don't, don't try to cross. I just got, got so used to it. Um, you don't do that here. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> But over there, you just do it all the time. Yeah. And, I loved it. Wait, sorry, what was that last thing you said? It was a great experience. I loved it. Oh, good, good. And um, what kind of things did you do? I mean, I don't know if you had time for leisure, but if you did, if you did have the free time to just explore, hang out, have fun, like what kinds of things did you do since you were in this, this city? So for the first two weeks, I kind of was just like alone because I just did I worked those 40 hours and I would just sit at home afterwards and, and just kind of be bored and just watch Netflix mm-hmm. um, kind of like something hit me I was like I'm in a really beautiful country I need to go explore I'm getting a stipend for my job like they're paying me a little bit I can use that money to go and travel and actually experience Lebanon mm-hmm. um, I own this um, this tour company called Living Lebanon okay. and they would do these cheaper like $50 weekend tours they're just like day tours on the weekends and it was people from all over the world doing that, too. So it was just, like, everyone was together on this small bus, like, traveling to this mountain or, like, doing this, um, like, to a museum mm-hmm. on the outskirts of like that. Okay. So it was fun. I made a lot of friends do that. That's good. And it's good that you mentioned that because I, um, when, when I first, like, go somewhere new, um, I'm kind of tempted to just, uh, focus on what I'm there for at first, um, but then, like like you said, you kind of there's a moment where it's like, okay, I came all the way here. I need to explore. I need to just get out there a little bit more, you know. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad you took advantage of that to see more and meet new people and all that. Um, that's really good. Um, do you does your does your like lasting impression of your practicum in Lebanon, does that differ greatly from your lasting impression of your, um, of the internship in South Africa? I think what I learned from both those internships was just a difference in scale Mm -hmm. and that there are connections across those scales. So at the end of the day, I was working with youth education. Yeah. But one was on the ground level, one was at this, like, macro level. And I think they both informed each other. Because when I reflected on the South Africa experience, I could say, oh, we did communicate with donors, or we did talk about this or this or this. Um, and when I was working in Lebanon, I was like, oh, these are the challenges that the, edu- that the teachers are facing on the ground level. Yeah. So I think both different experiences that kind of informed each other. Right, gotcha. Do you feel like you um, do you feel like you gained more from one versus the other, or that you enjoyed more of one okay. than the other? Yeah. Um, so I don't think I don't want to compare and say one is better than the other because I feel like they both gave me different things. Mm-hmm. I think Africa was a beautiful time because it was like my first time really putting myself out there and like immersing myself somewhere that I I was completely born to, mm-hmm. and and. Um, but I think 
Lebanon was also beautiful in Palestine. Lebanon, Palestine combo was also beautiful because I, I had a chance to reconnect with my Arab identity. Mm-hmm. Um, that was something that I, I never really got to do in such, like, a very, like, like immersive way. Right. And um, uh, you said you're, you're Arab. Do you also speak Arabic? So here's the thing. Okay. <laughs> I didn't speak enough Arabic to, like, start a conversation, but I had I never had the Arabic to finish a conversation. Mm. So that caused a lot of challenges for me when I was abroad, especially because I looked like I could speak Arabic very well. Mm-hmm. So I would start up a conversation and, like, be like, oh, he's slowing down. Or, like, he's, like, not he's keeping up. And then, like, oh, you're not from here. Like, that's why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was really confusing for people. That's but, so... Like, because they're used to foreign travelers being European or American, or they weren't used to foreign travelers looking like them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was it was new for them. It was new for me. So <laughs> that's so funny. When I was in, I did an, uh I was in Paris for an internship, and occasionally I would have to answer phones. And mm-hmm. I was in, yeah, so I was in Paris, and Paris Parisian people speak very quickly especially on the phone. So, and I I have trouble hearing people on the phone, even, like, here in English. Like, it's just, I don't know. Making people out on the phone is just difficult for me. So they would call, and because my accent is good, but sometimes I don't always know or remember the words that I want to say. So there'd be times where I'd have to keep asking people to repeat stuff, and they would just be, like, really frustrated because they would think I was like a French person messing with them like I'm speaking clear French why don't you understand me like they sometimes they would think I was like slow or or that I was just playing around (laughs) 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 wait what was that I said it probably took some time for them to get used to yeah yeah so sometimes I would just have to say on the phone like I'm sorry I'm American can you please just repeat it or talk more slowly? <laughs> I felt bad having to use that as a cop out, but that was my host mom told me to do. She's like, "Okay, they're going to think you're, they're going to think there's either something wrong with you or that you're just wasting their time. So just tell them that you're American, and mm-hmm. they'll understand and they'll speak. Because <laughs> otherwise, they're just going to keep being frustrated because they don't know." Because <laughs> the accent, you can kind of like wink, you can kind of like fake it to maybe sound like, you know, mm-hmm. your friends or whatever. But, um, but no, once you, it's like, like finishing the conversation is what I struggle with also. So it's like. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. And I think my most used phrase was, I don't speak Arabic in Arabic, but I said it in perfect Arabic. <laughs> they were lost. Like. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's funny. Because <laughs> you like grew up speaking it at home, right? Not really, actually. Oh, so so since, since my parents were born in the States, they always could understand it, but they never really spoke it. Mm-hmm. So it was one of those things where I always understood certain things in Arabic, but for the most part, I knew everything in English. Okay. So like, I never grew up with like the idea of a laundry basket. We called it salla. Like that was like... You know, or like, there's certain words that I would say Arabic and not in English, and then when I learned what the English word was, I would be like, oh, that's what it is. Like, that's the difference. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. So, weak Arabic. Gotcha, okay. And you never, like, studied it, like, in a classroom or anything either? I've never studied it formally, and that's part, actually, another reason why I wanted the Lebanon-Palestine experience 
was to, I guess, like, build those Arabic skills. And they did get better while I was there. Mm. So okay. I was practicing more and more. That's good. Yeah, yeah, immersion immersion helps. Even if you, like, fumble or have embarrassing moments along the way, you know, since you're in it all day, every day, it helps to, like, strengthen that muscle so you can speak better and uh, understand and remember more. So that's that's good. <laughs> Sorry, just, thinking about what you said is really funny because you look like you should understand, but then you know you still had issues. But you know it's all good. You did your best, and you got better. So <laughs> okay, so that was during most of the summer. How long was that that you were in Lebanon? Lebanon, I was there for eight weeks. Eight for weeks, the and then it was yeah. another two, two weeks after that you went to Palestine. Yes. So did you have to have like? Um, like a visa ahead of time or some sort of like uh, permission to enter Palestine before you went or was it something I mean I don't know like what's the process of trying to get into Palestine so yeah it was it was a real challenge um, especially because I am of Palestinian origin mm-hmm. um, it was really difficult for me to get in especially as like a, a lone male traveling mm-hmm so the way it works is that you have to apply for a visa at the border. Um, I applied for a travel visa, and luckily I was granted it, but I was held at the border for a good four and a half hours. Mm. The process is very strict, um, and they they interviewed me. They, inter- they they talked to me for a while about like my intentions for traveling there and all those sorts of things. Um, because w- when you when you look like me, I guess they perceive you as a as a security threat. Um, so that was a, a really, I guess, mm. tough experience. Why uh, would you be perceived as as a threat for looking the way you do? Um, because I'm, I'm Palestinian. Okay. Is it not Palestinian people who are, like, well, who's Patrolling. doing border patrol? Um, Israel. Oh, okay. Yeah, Israel yeah. controls the border. So, like, when, when I was being interviewed, it was a lot of, like, the first question they ask you is, is, who, what's your father's name? What's your mother's name? What's their father's name? What's their mother's name? Like going back and tracing mm. how far back is your lineage? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a whole thing. So you can't go through go, get into Palestine without going through Israeli authorities, basically. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That is wild. Wow. Okay. So um, so you get you get through. And um, had you already, like, made, like, did you get in contact with your family before you went over there so that you knew where to go? Or was there someone waiting for you once you crossed the border? Yeah, so so I, I knew where I was going to go once I got there, and it was, it was to my aunt's house. Um, so I went straight to her house from the border after okay. I crossed. And yeah. so you just hung out there the whole time? Just hung out, ate good food like hung out like just met really kind of met family that i've never met before mm-hmm. and just spent time with them all day it was great yeah and what was that like meeting family that you had never like you're related but you never met before so i mean what was was it awkward was it or were they just did they just welcome you with open arms like what, what was it like it would have been awkward if they didn't welcome me with with open arms but they like took me in right away it was just like your fam like let's let's eat let's hang out it's like <laughs> Um, I think one thing that I had to adjust to too was that in Lebanon a lot of people spoke English readily and they could switch to it really quickly but 
um, when I was with family in Palestine, like English wasn't really the, their strong their strong suit. So like I had to work on my Arabic a lot more when mm-hmm. I was there. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's good that you had you know so much um, warmth around you, you know, and. Yeah. Uh, Wow, so, yeah, that must have been so nice. Just, like, two weeks hanging out with family. Um, Was it, um, goodness, I don't even know. Because I don't know, like, what parts of Palestine are, like, tend to be more, like, um, I don't want to say dangerous. Like, I don't know, like, if there, (laughs) are there air raids? Are there, like, attacks that you have to be aware of? Are there, like, um... Like, you know, we have tornado warnings out here. Like, were there certain warnings that you had to heed or, like, a curfew? Like, I don't know what... Were there any sort of, like, um, precautions or any sort of restrictions that you had to be aware of while you were there? Um, different places in Palestine have different restrictions and different experiences. Okay. Um, while living under military occupation. Um, and I think that's something that I learned um, and something that I... I guess, like, a bias that I had in myself was that all of Palestine would be one way, mm-hmm. and that would be per- pervasive and would be, like, the entire, like, their entire, the main part of their existence, but I guess what I learned is that there's so much more than that. There's so much warmth. There's so much culture. There's so much joy. There's so much, like, love to go around. Yeah. Um, enjoyment. It's just on the backdrop of military occupation. Right. So yeah. life still goes on, even with the circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It's just one of those things, like, for instance, I went to a brewery when I was in Palestine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on the brewery tour, like, they're talking about how great the beer is and all those sorts of things, all those sorts of things. Um, and then they'll, they'll just drop hints of, like, oh, like, this is something that we have to go through because of, like, military checkpoints to get our beer here. Mm. This is, like, but it's still about the beer and about, like, the joy and of bringing people together. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Um, okay, so, and you were there for two weeks. Were you only allowed to be there for two weeks, or did, was that just the amount of time that you decided to be there? I was given a month-long permit, but I decided to stay for two weeks, because that was the time I had to come back for school. Oh, okay. Yeah. You. And is that typical? One month is what people usually get if you're, like, on a tourist visa? I don't want to speak on it, because I really don't know. Okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I just know like, what they gave me. Like, I wish I was more knowledgeable about all No, this, that's but... okay, because I, yeah. I, I know nothing, so I'm just trying to <laughs> learn what I can from you. <laughs> it was an eye-opening experience, and I guess, like, yeah, just eye-opening for me, like, just to reconnect with, like, my roots. I got to see, like, where my grandparents' families were from, wow. see their homes, um... Yeah, it was, it was very eye-opening. Mm-hmm. That on the backdrop of, there was that personal piece, but then there's also this political piece where you're fed this narrative that Palestine is dangerous, Palestinians are dangerous, all these sorts of things, but really, like like I said, this it's a culture of like, love and joy right. and like, being together yeah. despite, despite military occupation. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Wow. Okay. And, um... Okay, no, because I think you already answered that question. Um, I'm just really glad that you were able to have that experience, you know. Um, but even uh, with all that you had to go through to get to get across the border, to be able to reconnect with family and all that, I'm really glad that you had that. You were able to do that. 
Um, did reconnecting with your roots in that way and uh, with your family and all that, did that affect um, you at all in terms of how you see yourself? Like coming back home and just thinking about how you see your, think of yourself as a person, did your time in Palestine influence that in any way? It's hmm. a good question. Huh. I guess it made me really proud to be Palestinian. Mm-hmm. Um, it made me proud to belong to a culture of, like, just just a resilient culture, a culture that has been just durable and living um, and just, like, thriving despite all this. Yeah. I guess it just made me proud to be Palestinian. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I'm glad. And um, were you still uh, communicating with your parents while you were there? Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. I communicated with my parents quite a bit. Um, it was really, really funny because at first they're like, oh, you're not going. What? Why are you going? And then as soon as I go, they're like, oh, my gosh, go to this place and go to this place. And- <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Really? <laughs> I mean, I'm happy, but <laughs> support early on would have been great. <laughs> oh, it's funny. And so when you came back, I'm sure they were happy that you made it back and that you got to connect with people and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, I just feel like that, that must have been so special for you, you know? It was, it was very eye-opening. and It was something that I've always wanted to do, like, since I was a kid. I've always wanted to know where, like, where, my, where my roots were and where my grandparents were from. Mm-hmm. And I think I was really fortunate to have been able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, see that. Would you, I mean, I'm sure it's not something you'd want to do yearly or anything, but do you see yourself going back to Palestine in the future? I do, for sure. I really do. Um, My new job actually has a project going on in Jordan. Mm. Um, I hope to kind of, like, use my vacation days as, like, an extended trip and just, like, go see family for a bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. It was, it was, despite what I described at the beginning, like, it was really worth it to, to see, I guess, like, how beautiful it really was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. It's good. But yeah, I hope, if you do uh, go that route, I hope that everything works out and you're able to uh, go back to Palestine and see your folks again. Um, <laughs> yeah. Any other travel plans? in the near future or anywhere else that you would like to go just in general? Like, is there a place that's been on your mind that you'd like to go to? Um, not anywhere new per se, more so just like going back to the places I've been already. I'd really like to go back to South Africa to the community center. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been there since 2015 and I'd love to go and visit. Yeah. Um, my co-intern has been back since then and she got to see like how big the youth have gotten and the kids have gotten. Oh, yay. Um, um, yeah. just like cool have you stayed in touch with anyone from the center besides I your have. fellow intern yeah yeah so I have okay um, a, lot of kids, a lot of the youth and kids didn't really have phones but I kept in touch with like the host family mainly. okay good good nice alright um, okay so I feel like you've already you've, you've shared so many reflections um, in the course of this conversation um I just want to ask if for anyone uh, thinking about studying abroad or going to the places that you've been more specifically, do you have any 
particular advice that you think would be most pertinent to them? Huh. I think. I know it's a big question. <laughs> going to the specific places I've gone or going to like Uh yeah, I mean whichever I mean yeah, let's let's say going to the specific places that you've been. Um, is there any advice pertinent advice that you would like to offer? I think one thing that all travelers should do is kind of like check their biases before they go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think biases are natural. It's just how we're hardwired as humans. Yeah. But because I, 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 it wasn't until I went to Palestine that I realized that even me as a Palestinian, like had bias about like what, a, what Palestine was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think those biases are natural and it's just, we need to check those and, and kind of like challenge those whenever we go somewhere new. Mm, for sure for sure all right and last but not least uh where can people find you online or connect with you um if you want people to to find you if not that's totally fine just <laughs> either way <laughs> i can give them my gmail okay yeah yeah my, my gmail is b g and then my last name Mattia. okay could you spell that for me please yep b g b a T A Y E H at gmail.com. Okay, perfect, perfect. Um, well, thank you so much again for making the time to talk to me about your travels. And um, I know we had some issues, <laughs> but we worked it out, and I'm really glad. Um, and yeah, I'm just really thankful. Thank you so much for um, sharing all that you had to share today. And uh, I wish you nothing but the best continue uh living it up in georgia (laughs) and um yeah i hope you have a great rest of your week and and all that good stuff so thank you so much brian thank you for having me yeah it's a pleasure all right well thank you so much and have a great evening okay brian thank you you as well all right talk to you later bye All right, y'all. There it is. Thanks to Brian for being such a wonderful guest. Um, After our interview, Brian sent me a message that he wanted me to share with y'all. So in the city of Ramallah in Palestine, there is a statue of Nelson Mandela, which was uh, donated by the city of Johannesburg, South Africa. And at the base of that statue is a quote from Mandela that reads, We know too well that our freedom is incomplete without the freedom of the Palestinians. So Brian thought to mention that uh, as a way to kind of tie together the experiences that he talked to me about, but also to express solidarity with peoples who are in the struggle for freedom and autonomy. So thank you for sharing that with me, Brian, and I hope you like how this all turned out. For the rest of you listening, don't forget to follow this podcast at at Young Gifted and Abroad on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, don't forget to check out guest profiles and resource lists on younggiftedandabroad.com. And if you like what you've been hearing so far, please continue to listen to the show on SoundCloud, Acast, iTunes, or Stitcher. And last but not least, if you have questions or comments to share, or if you yourself would like to be a guest, then feel free to email me at younggiftedandabroad at gmail.com. So for next week, I have a friend of mine 
as the guest we ended up going to the same university but i also knew her from high school um and we were kind of neighbors also so um known her for quite a while and uh she is uh, very passionate about uh, the arabic language arabic cultures um, middle eastern affairs and policy and the like and so she uh, was part of this flagship program where she studied uh, did really intensive arabic study in morocco so you're gonna hear all about her time in morocco her, also her uh, journey of finding her way career-wise in dc so um, you'll hear all about that next week but until then thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time <laughs>